everyone prays. We're going to look today at, at um, maybe what we could consider to be uh, praying faithfully. Next week, I intend to be in Galatians as we started chapter one last week. But this week, we are going to be in a different portion of scripture in Ephesians. Let me talk a little bit about Jesus in the sense of he had his followers, they're called disciples. And so his disciples followed him, but they weren't always learning as they, maybe at the rate that they should. Can anyone relate to that rate? You know, like you, you know you could catch a little more. Well, anyway, there's something said frequently in the Gospels about Jesus. It identifies that his expression, because of his love, his expression was compassion. We're told that he was moved with compassion, and frequently we're told that. When the feeding of the 5,000, when there was actually probably more like over 15,000 people that received this meal. Uh, Same with the 4,000, healing the sick, helping the hurting, um, even helping a uh, Roman centurion, a opposing military force or representative. It's mentioned he was was moved with compassion. Compassion is, it's the awareness and the action really of love. Can we agree? It's not just knowing and, and wondering, but it's like, you know, what can I do? The disciples come to Jesus and they were really concerned. They said, Jesus, I mean, these people have been with us all day. And we've been at this getaway, this retreat, and they're there, and we've been, they've been being taught all day long, and they're hungry. And, and it's, it's a far distance to travel. No one delivered. And so how, how, they need food. And so these, these disciples were concerned. They were kind. They were thinking about the people. Agreed? But we're told that Jesus... In looking at the disciple or the, the, the multitude that had been fed, or needed to be fed, he looked at them with compassion, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he's seen things different. And he's teaching you and I to see things different. He was teaching them to see things differently. See, sometimes we think in hard times and difficult days and traumatic things that we go through, Maybe, maybe God, I don't know, maybe, maybe he isn't here. Maybe, maybe he doesn't hear our prayers. Maybe he is somewhat detached, as others would say. Like somehow he kind of put the universe into motion and created the order, this observable, and then just departed to sit on the rings of Saturn and play a harp or something. I don't know. I mean, it just kind of seems to be detached. But Jesus is familiar with suffering. He's familiar with our suffering. He's aware of what we go through. You know, if you've been here very long, you know we take communion at least once a month, first Sunday of the month, but sometimes other times, sometimes every Sunday, just, you know, kind of over the 23 years, we've kind of adjusted things. But when we do that, you may have often noticed we look to Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, specifically in verse 3, we're told about Jesus that he's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So we know that about him. It goes on to say in that same passage, that scripture in Isaiah 53, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
So now if we believe the word of God to be true, what is revealed about the person of God, the condition of humanity, the solution of our Savior, what God has offered, and the revelation of his character, of what he's like, we, we can't let it come in that, well, gosh, maybe doesn't God, know, God doesn't know. He does know. He carried our sorrows. He, he knows our griefs. He, he literally has carried them for us. It goes on to say in the next verse in Isaiah 53, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace is upon him and by his stripes we are healed. You understand the stripes were from the brutality of the cross and what took place in the, that day before the actual nailing him upon the cross. The pain he endured was for what reason? Was for you and I. I, I believe it's important that we start here to help get set in our minds the awareness of how God is, not how we feel towards God, not how maybe some people would say God is, but rather just what the truth is about God. Let's journey over to Hebrews chapter 4 to, to finish up this intro, so to speak. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told once again about how Jesus is, his role, who he is. We're told that we, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. It's not that he doesn't sympathize. He's not, it's not that he's not aware. Now, sometimes when you pray, sometimes when I pray, I don't feel he hears my prayers. Have you ever been there? With all your energy, with all your sincerity, maybe with all your even expression, you lift up this prayer, this, this, this heaviness. But you don't feel. It don't, doesn't seem to. It's like you don't have the sheetrock element the breaker. You can't break through sheetrock. So you step outside and it's like, well, it doesn't seem to go through the clouds or maybe I don't have the ozone ingredient to be able to get to the heavens so God can hear my prayer. I don't feel that he hears it. Your relationship with God is based on the promises of God and who he is. And when our feelings are in alignment with the truth of God, I think it's a wonderful experience. But the truths of God are not dependent upon how I feel about them. They stand alone. And it's so important because that's our stability. That's our strength. That's our very foundation when we go through good times or bad times, whatever it may be. So we see in this portion that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us pray. God, as we would be here today, we um, do lift the families to you. We lift the Schmidt family to you, and we just pray for your comfort, your healing touch upon the children and the grandchildren, the friends and other family members, Lord, that only you can bring that comfort and that hope. You sympathize, you understand, you know what they're going through. And so, God, we pray for just a special blessing upon them. And we consider also the Postima family, as we know what's happened, but we don't really know how 
they're doing, how they handle, how do, you, how do we deal with these things? God, thank you that we can come before you with great confidence, with boldness, into this throne, this, this, what you've conveyed to us, this, this place of unmerited favor and undeserved kindness. And so we stand in the gap and lift them to you, both Nathan and Takina and, and the other close family members, Lord, that you would be their comfort, their hope, their strength in this time. God, we thank you for who you are. And others, Lord, that have suffered loss and endured hardship. God, we just, we look to you to carry them through, to carry us through, that we would be aware of who you are, regardless of how we feel. And so, Lord, we just pray you bless them. We look to you, God, today to, to walk us through your word and to teach us your truths. Not so we have a cerebral or a mental grasp, but that we would be changed in the heart, that we would be formed and shaped into your likeness, Holy Spirit, that your power and presence would bring about a work that you desire, God. A work that would allow your light to shine in and through us in every aspect, in every area, in all relationships, Lord. We need you, God. We need you this very hour and the one to follow and the one after that. And so thank you, God, that you'll walk us through your word. You'll teach us your word. You'll bring comfort where comfort's needed, correction where correction's needed. You'll bring hope. You'll bring truth. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 today. Ephesians chapter 3 is a prayer of God for his people presented by one of his people. It's an interesting thing. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, it wasn't the Apostle Paul's devotion and dedication and willingness to suffer that he was selected to be the name on a letter. The Bible is very specific and very clear that God is the author. And he brings his truth and his principles into and through instruments, just like Paul was the conduit that the word of God came into and through with the emphasis to be upon God and not the messenger. So yes, we do have this letter written to a a gathering in the city of Ephesus because they're in Ephesus. They were called, the people were the Ephesians. Paul did get to engage with them. But this truth that we have that they were the initial recipients is to be received by you and I as well. It's a principle that's to be grasped and considered and and put into practice, not just the concept, but the relationship. So let's read verse uh, in in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14 through 21. And then I want to come back through and we'll glean from it and God, I believe, will give us insight Maybe conviction and even comfort in how to to live out and to practice these truths in a way that honors him. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's go back and see if we can glean from this prayer in Scripture what God's desire is for us when we pray. And even really we can see some elements in, in how we pray. You know, it is interesting that Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Would you teach us to pray? It's where you have in Scripture in the Gospels what's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, which more accurately would be called the, the model prayer. Because he, he said, this is, this is the prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Speaks of relationships. So we have that. But we also have others like this here that we see the, these uh, truths of Scripture. So let's consider verse 14. We know it's a prayer because he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So prayer, as we've, I've already mentioned, is it, everybody prays. It just depends on the situation and the circumstances. And there is a, a bodily position that many take. It's, it's really, it, it, in its most uh, genuine way, it reflects humility. It reflects surrender. But understand, it's not, the position that's important. Think of it this way. It's not the position of the legs as much as the condition of the heart. So it's really the matter of the heart. Now, you may find yourself isolating or placing yourself where you're not distracted, and you may pray, pray in a certain position. I, I, that's certainly, you know, wonderful. I think you, you develop that as you grow, but it's not something we memorize. It's not some method that we use. It's the relationship we have because we have a relationship with God. So he says, you know, I, I bow my knees to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Later, he speaks of the Holy Spirit being present in the inner man. You may have noticed with that the Trinity in these three verses. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. One God revealed in three persons. The tri-unity of God. A clear declaration in Scripture here and in other places. Yet a difficult reality to fully understand. Agreed? It's a clear presentation. It's not like, because you know, some have said, well, you don't see the word Trinity in the Bible. Like, and you can study the Nicene Creed and the Council of Nicaea and some other things. But here, why don't you study the word? You don't have to say Trinity when you see three, the tri-unity of God depicted, de declared in Scripture. So we know that the Bible tells us there's one God. And that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. So we have three personages in one God. So understand it this way. There's just some things that are clearly stated and yet hard to understand. Aren't you glad some things are true even when you don't fully understand them? Because it's just a fact of life we get, we've adapted to. There's some things that you do and things in this life that we participate in or practice that we don't fully understand, but we understand enough to go ahead and do it. Like this little thing I call a computer. Most of the time it's beneficial. I turned it on, I figured out how to do that and a little working of the keyboard, but I don't really get really what goes on in there. 
but I understand it going on in there. There's just some things you just figure out as you go. Could maybe after service, somebody can explain not just the theoretical concept of electricity, but maybe the practical reality in scientific terms, because nobody seems to be able to do that. There's a lot of talk about it. Okay, well, let's just make it simpler, Down. Let's just talk about light, because that's easy to explain. Yeah, that's why they say light is the absence of darkness. Well, I didn't ask what's missing. I asked what is. See, there's a lot of things we don't totally understand. We can try to put into, but we know they're true. And the nature of God, and some things we're going to consider today, and, and the practices, and, and the promises, and how he is, we want to remind ourselves there's just some things I don't understand I don't understand why we pray you and I in our own unique way because of the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ we pray but sometimes it doesn't seem like he hears sometimes it just almost seems like an exercise in futility yet I know he hears my prayers I know he answers I know he's perfect in all those ways I know his timing is perfect so now I have to reconcile what is true but yet I don't quite understand. Because I don't understand it, it still remains what? True. It still is what it is. So we live in a time that that's not so easy to explain. I'm not going to get into that. Verse 15, you know, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So understand it from this sense, at least a beginning point, because this prayer is being offered up and it's identifying. God is the creator. He's the father of life. All creatures, especially in the context here, all people. He's the father of them. All people have one father, but not all have the same Lord. And that's where the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus is Lord of those who receive the gift of forgiveness and new life. See, those who reject his forgiveness are also rejecting the father. And so there is a distinction. The Bible makes it clear that, yes, we all have the same creator, father of, you know, life. But you're, when you, if you're not born again, then this prayer will, will not be able to be put into practice, quite honestly. Because you've already seen, as we've read through it, it speaks of Jesus' presence, of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the Lord, Jesus Christ. The Lord means I surrendered to him. You surrendered to him. You, at some point in your life, had this come about, you realized your own personal sin. You may have thought it wasn't as bad as other people's, but you still had to admit, this is, I, I know I've done wrong. You even recognize, because really God is what's stirring this reality to you, that you needed forgiveness of your sins. And so as that's coming to fruition and realization, then like, how do I have this forgiveness of my sins? And, and maybe someone told you. Maybe you've seen it on TV. Maybe you read it in a pamphlet. Maybe in a sermon on a weekend or whatever. It was explained to you that Jesus is God. He came as a man. He did not sin. And then he chose to die for your sin to pay the debt was due because of your sinfulness or your need for forgiveness. And when he died for your sin, when he died for the sins of the world, he was put into a tomb basically left for dead. He rose from the dead, bodily ascended into heaven, proven that he was fully God and fully man. Therefore, he could die for your sin. So when we put our faith in him, when we're at this point, and realize, man, I, I know I need to be right with God. 
the way you're right is to realize I need his forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is God. As much as I'm trying to sort out what that all is, I'm going to put my faith in him, and I believe he'll then teach me how to live. I'll turn from those things that kept me from him. I'll turn to him. And so that's where the the born-again experience the Bible speaks of. Accepting or believing that he is God and putting your trust in him. And now he's your Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets to call the shots. He leads your life. Now, that brings you into the family in a different dynamic. This prayer we're looking at is a prayer. It's, it's for those who are Christ followers. It's actually the prayer of a Christ follower. It's a, it's a, a request, a, a deep desire and a longing from our hearts to, to know God in a deeper way. So with that, let's just continue along. Let's look in verse 16. This is a, a petition, a request. that You see what's being identified as who provides that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory. What are his riches? In this realm, we have material things that we use to establish value, like Gold is kind of the go-to thing, correct? Historically. And we have different things digitally, monetarily, nationally, different economies. But let's just be honest. Gold's the standard. Okay? So that's the hive mark for us. That's what everything kind of... When systems fall apart, get your gold. That's what people say. Well, there's gold in heaven too. Do you know that? So is there a parallel in value? Well, not exactly. We're told that God uses gold in heaven as pavement. Literally, the streets of gold convey to you, it's of minimal value there. It's not, so we know the riches that's being spoken of here out of his riches are not like physical material things. What are the riches of his glory? Well, I think as we look at the truth of scripture, we realize he's speaking of relational riches. Because God's into people. He's not into stuff. And so, relational riches. Well, what that, how would that be manifested? What would relational riches look like? His relational gro- glory, your salvation is his relational glory. That is what God values the most. And when we receive what he's offered to us, he brings the truth to us. When we receive that, that's what he sees, sees of highest value. We know that to be true because he paid the highest price. Therefore, we can understand it's of the highest value. He paid the highest price, that being, of course, his life. It goes on to say in that text where we, we would be strengthened, um, that he would grant you according to the rich of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Have you ever wanted to try to maybe even determined to just do better? And I'm going to start getting this right. And you're going, to, you're, going to be, you're going to get stronger at it. For some of you, it's your New Year's resolution. Well, maybe that's not it. You've already maybe bailed and failed on a New Year's resolution because we're already, what, the 15th? So cast that aside. Here's the problem when we determine to do something. We're often relying on our strength. We can determine and discipline ourselves and decide, you know what, I, I'm, God, I'm going to learn to lean on you. I'm going to learn what this means to be strengthened with might through your spirit. What does that mean to the believer? I believe it means learning to be honest. I believe this is the most difficult thing. This requires more 
courage, more um, transparency. This is one of the most difficult things to do, and it's private. It's only between you and God. What is it? It's being honest with yourself. Being honest with yourself. Not listening to the, to the deception and the facade and the front and the appearance and the culture. But just realizing, man, why did I get mad at that guy? Being honest. Well, like, I got mad at him because he's a jerk. It makes sense. Well, no, that's not why you got mad at him. Realizing and honestly, and this is very intimate. It's very between you and God. Being honest like, man, why did I look at them that way? Man, why did I want to do that? God, why did I, I know I thought it was because of this, but it seems that it was actually more this. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? It takes a lot of courage to do that. It really does. It's why we avoid it. Because we know some things are true. I just don't, if I don't admit it, then it probably isn't true. It's kind of like the little kid, right? That you scare them and what do they do? A real small kids? Because now the scary thing left... Because I can't see it. So if I don't take my eyes, I keep, you see, we're spiritually that way sometimes. Because, and I want to encourage you, God is faithful. When you agree with him and go, God, I just can't believe I've been with you so long. And, and I'm still doing this stuff. He's going to go, you know, this will never happen. He, where he says, you what? Are you kidding me? You're still doing that? Oh my gosh, I thought I taught you. That'll never happen. You will never surprise God when you would agree with God. You'll never reveal, he'll never go, oh my, I didn't know you harbored that in your heart. Instead, he's like, oh, I'm so glad that we can talk about this. There's two people that have been able to say this to me. My mother and Jesus. My mom's with Jesus, that means nobody else gets to say this. Oh, Danny, Danny, Danny. I believe God says that. Oh, Danny, let's let me show you a few things. Just, can I just teach you to rely on me? You don't surprise me with your silliness or your stubbornness or your stuff that you're ashamed or embarrassed by. It don't surprise me. You see the relational dynamics that's being presented here? That we will be strengthened through Christ. We'd be strengthened through might, through his spirit, his presence. Where? In the inner man. In the inner man. See, we try to impress people. That's the outer man. Everybody tries to do it, even those who deny it. There's an element where we have certain thought about ourselves and what people might perceive. And so sometimes we do things and say things and act in certain ways because it fits in our psyche and our setting of how we think we are. But see, that's not where God works. God begins in the inner man. The very seed of our emotion, the very core of who we are, the, 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 the place of our soul, so to speak. And he begins this work inside. And because we're, he's teaching us to be truthful and honest with ourselves, and humble before him and shaped by him and repentant because he leads us. And now guess what starts changing? Our outward expression. We're learning to love, not because we observed and copied, but because we're transformed on the inside. And that's what's so important because many of us, as Christians, we want to be better Christians. We want to have you know, more of an expression of God's life and love. And we want people to see it. But sometimes we just try to do more 
And it's not what the Bible teaches you. It teaches you to rely on God, look to God, that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You being rooted and grounded in love, here's a powerful truth, not just a spiritual concept. Faith. Faith. Believing God is who he is. And that he knows you. Faith is not something you're to generate. Faith is not something that I determine to do. Faith, the Bible teaches you and me that every person has been allocated, given a measure of faith. You can read 1 Corinthians 12. You can read Romans 12. There's even a, you know, kind of an indirect conversation there in Ephesians 4. Faith is a gift to be opened and utilized. It's not something to be generated. It's so important. Because if you ever tried to be faithful, I have. Many times I've tried to be more of a faithful person to God. I just, you know, and it, it is just, it's almost debilitating, seriously. It just kind of wears you out. But instead, realizing it's a gift to be opened and utilized. It's not just a thought or a concept or something to ponder. A truth to be understood and practice. We know this. This is not just a preacher's point. We know it's a truth to be understood and practiced because from Genesis to Revelation, we're presented the truths of God, the character of God, the condition of, of humanity, God's solution through the Savior. All is all presented. And how are these truths presented? They brought that we can process them through people, right? There's just a whole list. Every book is about people and their relationship with God and how they lived. And so we have in the Bible certain places that they kind of capsulize these, these things and like, here's all these people. What, what about it's got to do with faith? Well, think about Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a list of people who the Bible says, that Jesus talks about, that God says himself, here's some examples of faith. These are models of faith so you and I can realize it's to be practiced. It's, it's to be lived out in our lives. You read in Hebrews 11, and I, I'm not a, you know, I'm just a real practical person. Like, well, like who? I mean, what's, it, what's it look like? Well, you go to Hebrews 11, and I just kind of went through the, the names. I just looked at the names in the first part of the chapter. And I read on through, and you got Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and many, many others who lived by faith. Isn't it fascinating that God describes them as people that lived by faith? Because when you see more of the details of their life, you may describe them different. But this is what God says. This is what it looks like. This is what, how people live, that, that are willing to live by faith. Many, many others, other than the ones I just listed, they lived out the faith they had been given. When God gives you something, it's so essential that, that it makes sense we should learn to live it out. Agreed? If you have been given a gift of faith, and you have been, even if you're not yet a Christian, the Bible says you've been given the faith to believe in God. Because we didn't just wake up one day and figure we needed God because that would be an exercise of man. But it's a work of God to reveal our need for God. So here he reveals it to us. We respond to that gift 
And then we learn, really, you're called to put it into practice. Matter of fact, if you consider Hebrews 11.6, in Hebrews 11.6, we're told without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here we realize maybe if we could receive this truth that, that we come to him by faith, not because we have all the answers, not because we mustered up the emotion, not because we manufactured some type of a go, go, go thing. It's just simply because we've been given this gift of faith. We come before him believing that he is God. Believing that he knows more about me, no more, knows more about you than you know about yourself. That he's aware of your hardship and your hurt and your confusion. He's aware of it. But as we come to him believing that he is God, we, we come to him that, that he, we also believe he's a rewarder. It, it means a responder. It actually is interesting because it talks about he reveals and then we respond. That's why there's this sense of reward. It's not like our prayers are just, well... I prayed, I guess I'll just wait and see what happens. I mean, certainly that's true, but you're going to be aware, like, man, God, you're going to do something. He's perfect in his ways, perfect in his timing, perfect in all that he is. And so he rewards you. Notice there is an element of diligently seeking him. I pray sometimes. I've been through some really, really hard times in life over the last 30 years, as you have too, unless you're 25, then you've only been through 25 years of challenges. And there's times I prayed and I just walked away because he didn't hear. He didn't answer the way I thought he should answer. It was just, you know, like, well, what's the point? I was hurting. I wanted to hear, but I didn't want to wait. I wasn't sure what to do. And it was tough. Some of you may be there today. I want you to consider something relationally. I think that it's an image and a helpful picture for us. Imagine an infant that the parent is aware that this child has got like a cold or is sick or whatever. Maybe it's even a toddler. Maybe, maybe of an age they could communicate, they have a headache or whatever. But that child being so, you know, uncomfortable and going through such a tough time, fussing and crying a lot. And you as a parent, you would pick that child up and you would go to hug them. And that child, we know, often would do something push away, correct? The child doesn't want the hug. He needs it. And you may be able to hold a little tighter, just a little bit, and have them relax, but not always. Often, as you hold tighter, what happens? More resistance, more shoving away. So does the parent stop loving the child because the child pushed away? No, the parent continues to extend love. So how's that fair for you and me? God's the parent and you're the toddler. And there's times we want to know his hand. We want to see his touch. But we're hurting so much we can't even figure. We just, I don't know. So God doesn't like rebuke us. He recognizes. He is familiar with suffering. He's aware of our hurts. And he just continues to bring you close. And, and we want to just continue to seek him. Even when you don't feel like it, you, you should, I encourage you just to be willing to say, God, I don't feel like it. I'm hurting. I don't know why you didn't deal with this. I don't know how come this happened. I'm hurting and I need your help. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that hard to say? I'm hurting and you owe me an answer. No, don't do that. 
we want to. We sometimes do. I'm hurting, God. I don't know how to handle this. I need your help. Because that's what this example for prayer is all about. That we're not learning disciplines and spiritual practices, but we're learning this relationship where God says, I want to be your strength. I want to be the one that strengthens you. Learn to rely on me. When I, when I invite you into an embrace, learn to receive this because he's faithful. He's a rewarder. Now, verse 17, back on Ephesians chapter 3, we're seeing also that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not that if you don't do these things, he doesn't dwell. It's just for you to realize he's there. So he's dwelling and literally dwelling conveys to you and me is to take up residence, to be at ease in the home, that he may dwell and be at ease with you. So the resistance is not on his part. It's the circumstances that cause resistance on our part. So he's telling us, teaching us, hey, that we would experience his power present within us in such a way that Christ would dwell. We would be aware that he's with us, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. You, you probably, it's pretty simple, I think, to see the, the picture there. Roots, you take a tree and you let the roots grow deep and wide and it, bring, it brings um, strength and stability. I believe it's Psalm 1 that speaks of trees planted by rivers of water. And you know what that conveys to you, that there's, there's a water source. And here's a, one you'll see here where we live. If you venture out into the desert much and cover some miles out in the open country, you'll notice sometimes a lone tree by itself. And there's a couple that come to mind where the water, there's a creekside creek nearby, but the water only flows about eight, nine months out of the year, if that. But why is that tree still there? Because the water supply, it's, it's rooted and grounded, has a deep root system and has a wide root system. And so when storms come and things come along, it's, it's still there. And so that's kind of what they were being told, that this love, that we're rooted and grounded in love, realizing that for you and me to realize, storms will come. Storms will come. It's an image and a picture that we're presented. It's proven to us to be reminded because we, especially right here in this area, we know the seasons. Can you agree? It's one really beautiful thing about this area. We get four seasons. Some people have come from other areas that it's just iceberg all the time. Think Alaska. This just doesn't really seem to be full of four seasons. Warmer climates tend to be four versions of hot or humid. We get to see it, but understand that's, I believe it's for us to realize you too will go through seasons in life and there will be times the storms will come and when we're rooted and grounded in what? My devotion to going to church, my willingness to give, my dedication to serve. No, those will be an expression of an understanding of love. So we want to make sure, we're, I want to grow. Do you not want to grow? Do we want not to see this love more and more? Verse 18, so we're working through this. That this is, you know, speaking of the love, his presence, and it goes on to say that because of this love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, which is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to have a greater understanding of this love, but literally consider what's being said here, with all the saints. You know, it's kind of confusing because some systems with a spiritual focus, so to speak, 
speak of sainthood is some form of accomplishment based on your works. So if you do enough now, throw in something that's pretty impressive, almost miracle-like, you do that kind of stuff, then eventually you get titled as a saint. I don't mean to be crude or overly simplistic, but I'll be very truthful. You're a saint or an ain't. There's no in-between. A saint is someone born again, born of the Spirit. You're born again, you receive the That is someone set apart. You don't achieve a better standing among other born-again Christians because you do more. It's, it's not how it works. So that word just simply means you, those in the family, they're, they're saints. Notice what it's saying, though, is that we would um, be able to comprehend with all the saints a togetherness that promotes unity. When you go through hard times, when life events rock your world, when you suffer and, and they're just significant things, some tend to isolate, maybe hibernate, which actually can lead to separation, which erodes or undercuts unity. Now, most of you have heard me teach before over the years or whatever. You know I do like getting out. I like solitude. I think it's important when you go through hard times to have solitude, to have place and a time where you can sort it out. But be careful that you don't isolate. Isolate is more about self-focus. It's more about I deserve it. It's more about me time. Solitude is different. Solitude is where you're seeking and desiring to know how to deal with what you have to deal with because you believe God will help, will give you direction. So it's important to understand the difference because later on in this particular letter, in this book, in Ephesians 4, we're reminded to bear with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now think about that. We're, we're invited to bear with one another in love, which means we're going through different things. Endeavoring, when you're endeavoring to do something, it's difficult, or they would use a different word, right? <laughs> Endeavor doesn't convey, oh, it's just coasting along. It's a downhill. It indicates there's some awkwardness and oddness and toughness to it. Endeavoring to do what? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do you know Christians already have the unity of the Spirit? But it, together we have to fight that, to have that. We endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because we want to get along. We just don't like each other. I know I'm not supposed to say it, but that's just a fact of relationships. We learn to love each other and occasionally like each other. And I don't want you to draw too hard a line of variation, but do you understand? But to, to, to realize, you know, God has done a work in my life, in their life, in their life, in his life, in her life. And I, I, I really want to know what he's done. I want to hear it. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be uniform. Uniformity is quite different than unity. Uniform is where we all have to look the same outwardly. The only uniformity we have is, is literally internally. The uniqueness and the beauty that God has given us through the love of Jesus Christ. So, there's a great need to receive his help so we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Agreed? Do you need help understanding somebody? Do you need help understanding a person in your life? If you're married, you have to say yes. If you have kids, you have to say yes twice. You know what I'm saying? We, we have, but we don't always recognize. I mean, I just need help. I don't know what to do. How challenging is that to people? 
And you used to say, how hard is that for men? But man, I have come to know there's some stubborn women in this world. They don't attend here. It's just people I met years ago, of course. <laughs> we all need help and the ability. To, okay, God, help me to understand, to comprehend with all the saints. Because, verse 19, we see this love. He's spoken of the expanse. It was the picture. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You know, there's the love that you experience. And when you experience it from the inside out, others might want you to explain how it is that you can be so loving. But it it passes knowledge. It's not something you're going to be able to verbalize and have it really like be, oh, I get it. You see what I'm saying? It's greater than knowledge. We're actually told that knowledge does something to you. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Knowledge oftentimes brings attention to ourselves. Love learns from other, learns other people. It builds up, builds relationships. The greatest gift that we have from God is love. It's manifested through his son. You can read John 3.16. It's shown in so many other ways. And God teaches us how to love. Imagine he gives us the capacity. He imparts to us as born-again Christians the love that carried him through to the cross and raised him from the dead that compelled him to um, save us, so to speak, is the same love that's implanted in us at the moment we're born again. Now he's going to say, now let me teach you how to use it. Let me show you how to live it out, how let that be seen in your life. And you would say, like I would say, okay, in these four areas, I'm good with that. This over here, leave me alone. And God says, excuse me? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to love that person. I don't want to do that. I'm not that type. I'm like, hmm, okay. Well, I get what you're saying. So, you know, there's these four. Okay, we'll start there. And you're like, no, you, you misunderstood. <laughs> I, I don't want to deal with that right now. <laughs> I'm going to show you how to love. My love, my love changes you from the inside out. Because you would do the same thing. If there's a great law, a great need, you wouldn't ignore that and deal with the minor. If this was essential, you'd deal with the important thing first, Correct. So God teaches us how to love. You know, we have a great need to know love, to know the love of Christ. To comprehend speaks of to, to lay hold of it, to, 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 to uh, seize it, to take it eagerly. And I can tell you right now, as a Christian for over 30 years, I need to know how to love in this season. I need to know how to love. Now that I've learned some things and I've learned to love in some areas, I've been brought to a point now I need to learn how to love in this season, in these situations, in those circumstances, in in how I engage with people or how I deal with myself or how I relate to God. And I can't just get a book on love and read it. I I want what this passage is teaching me and telling you and showing us that we're requesting of God that it will be granted to us these things to, to, to know the riches, to be strengthened by his presence, to be aware of this love, and to live differently. We've received it. It says, that, you know, it, yeah, there in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We've received it. We need to know how to live it out, to be changed from the inside out. To a point where really it would be overflowing from us. Because when it's growing inside, it's overflowing. And so you end up loving when you didn't think you could. You end up loving and didn't notice you were. And other people are like, wow, I'm surprised how you handled that. 
that's different than the way he used to deal with those things. And you're like, hmm, you're right, it is. Have you ever had that happen where you're actually more loving and kind than you used to be and you didn't know it? And somebody points out, it's like, you know, you did that different. Like, oh, cool. Don't get cocky. <laughs> Just recognize, man, God is doing the work. I didn't even realize, man, that's so cool. That's good to see. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. This is where faith comes into play once again. A dependence upon him who is able to do. We know of his glory and of his, of his riches when we've seen previously. He has the resources, so to speak. Not only is he of resources, he's also willing. See, if someone's able to do something but unwilling, that's a problem, correct? But where God has proven that he's not only willing, but he's able. Now, him who is, he is, he who is able to do beyond what you would even think of asking. You have right now in your mind restrictions that you've set. Conscious or subconscious, I don't know. But you have restrictions you set. And it's based on hurts, experience, life, whatever you may, may be. But don't limit the work of God because of your restrictions. Don't be demanding of God. But just say, God, I don't, I don't even know how to pray sometimes. Sometimes I, I pray a very minimalist prayer because I won't get disappointed if it doesn't come true. But that's really not the prayer he's calling us to. Like, God, I just, would you do a work? And then he'll prompt you. And, and maybe you'll see something. Man, okay, I, whew, that's big. If you do that, that's amazing. It's beyond what I would have thought or even asked. It's not self-generated. It's not a demand so you can prove God exists. It's a reality of his presence. And we start to demand exceedingly abundantly more than I would even ask or think according to the power that works in us. His presence working in us and through us. You know, Christians, we spend too much time thinking about ourselves and missing out on the power of God. We need to spend a little more time praising Him, asking for the faith to be stirred, and learning how to love in His strength and His presence, and not putting so much confidence in ourselves. This I've experienced. This I, I know. I have a diminishing confidence in myself and a rapidly increasing confidence in God because He's faithful. And then the more I embrace that and practice that, the more I see his power. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In 2020.3, that's where we are currently. I say it that way because I believe things changed so radically in 2020 that I'm going to measure it that way till the day I depart here. But in 2020, we went through a lot as a, as a, as a world. Uh, at a local level, we went through things even in the church and a lot of different things. And um, God really purposed on my heart and he wrote it on the other leadership team. And it, just, it was just a go-to verse for us. Some of you even picked up some of our you know, sweaters and hoodies that have, says Calvary Chapel on them. And the verse that we, we, we embraced was Hebrews 10.24. And it reads this way. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We realize in that hard times, let's just consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So that we really could be knit together through hard times. We could be together through difficult days, but we're relying on his power and presence to transform us and change us from the inside out. 
and that continues to be our, our desire to consider one another. You know, the one prayer I have often as a pastor for all of you, and for myself first, oh God, guard me from religion. Protect me from just these pretensions and this facade, this, this appearance of spirituality that creeps in on humanity regularly. We are not immune to it. And I pray, God, guard us from this form of godliness that has no power and draw us into a deeper relationship with you, that we would know you in a deeper way, that when we're together, we know it. Those of you that will travel on from here, the Lord tarries into other duty stations or different things in life, that you would know Jesus in a deeper way because you, you understood his presence. So I'd like to have the worship team come back up. We're going to uh, close with another portion of Scripture, but you don't have to go very far. You were sitting there in Ephesians 3. You're going to go over to Ephesians 1. Another prayer that we have for us to ponder and consider and also pray through. It begins in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 1. So if you would stand with me, we will glance at that and then pray through that. And then we close out our time together with a song of worship. Let's pray, God, thank you for this time today. Thank you, Lord, that you have stirred us individually. You have prompted us. You brought some relief. You brought some comfort. You brought correction. I pray, God, that we would be receptive to what you're showing us individually. And you would knit us together for your purposes. In this time, Lord, to be a help, an encouragement, support for those in need, to consider one another, Lord, for your purposes. God, for those of us that are born again, we recognize what you've done and are doing, and we declare our great dependence upon you to learn how to love in this season, for know, to know how to live this out as you protect us from pretension and religion that so creeps up. For anyone here today, you're not born again. You, you don't have that confidence because of the word of God. You don't have that reference in your life experience where you have put your faith in Christ. I just encourage you, it's just simple. That you agree with God. You agree with God in this way. God, I... I I don't know you, but I agree that I have sinned. I have done things contrary to your purpose and design. I've went against you in things, and I'm guilty. And the only way I can be forgiven according to what I've seen and heard and what you say is that my, my debt for doing wrong, my payment, must be paid by someone else. And you're the only one that can do that. You're God. You came as a man. You endured the cross. You, you were put in a grave. You rose from the dead. I don't even know all these things entirely, but it's the truth. You ascended bodily into heaven, proven that you are God and you were man. And so I put my faith in you. Forgive me for the sins. Teach me what it means to follow you. Keep me from returning to things I used to do. God, help me. Be my Father. Be my Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
we all look to you, Jesus. That you, the God, our God, the Father of glory, I would request for myself and for every one of us that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would grow in our knowledge of you, Jesus. Even as this is presented, that we would understand more the eyes of our understanding, being enlightened, that we would know what's the hope of your calling, what are the riches of your glory, your inheritance that we have because of what you've done, and to know even more the exceeding greatness of your power, the power and love toward us who believe, a power that's so amazing and beyond comprehension, the mighty power which worked in you, Jesus, when you were raised from the dead. And now you're seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father in the heavenly places. We praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Our hope is in you. Form us and shape us into your image and likeness. We thank you. We sing to you, Jesus. Amen.